Are you ready to study the scriptures? Yes or no? I'm so glad you said yes. Um, we're going to dive into it this morning. And I got a question for you as we begin. Because what I'd like to know from you is, are you the kind of person that loses stuff? Like, I've, I've kind of discovered in my life that there are really two kinds of people. There are the people that don't lose things, and there are the people who definitely lose things. And if you're a definite loser, you lose things all the time. I am not really one of those people. Like, I don't lose things very often. If I lose things, it's occasionally, I might misplace my keys for a moment, or, you know, it's very rare. Like, my wife, if I lose something, she's like, oh, that's so unlike you. Is that, is that right? Is that correct? She's, she's kind of nodding, sort of. Yeah, that's, that's kind of me. Um, but, I, but some of my family, actually, they, they are the type of people that lose things, like, like Pastor Ross, like my oldest brother. He's, he actually does lose things quite often. Now, it's because he loves people so much. It's because he's always looking around and thinking about other people and not thinking of himself, and he's looking at big picture all the time. It's his greatest strength. It's amazing. But it means that he loses things from time to time. So anytime we're at a meeting and we're about to leave, he's always like, Oh, where's my keys? Oh, what did I do with my wallet? Oh, babe, have you seen my, like, just, like, I pretty much, you can almost guarantee every time. So which one are you? Do you lose or do you not lose? And when you lose, don't you get panicked? Like, don't you freak out? It depends on what you lose. Like, if you lose your wallet, you're deeply concerned. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I, I, I've lost my wallet on occasion. Uh, Maria and I went on a cruise while we were on sabbatical, and we got to spend just seven glorious days in the Eastern Caribbean, just the two of us, sans children. It was hallelujah. <laughs> but on the last day, I walked into the restroom, and I walked out, and I did not have my phone. And I left it in there, and I panicked. I mean, I flipped out. My life is over, because how do you live without a smartphone? I don't know. You probably can't. So... So I was absolutely panicked. You get distracted, don't you? You're kind of freaking out. And when it happens, you don't really care that much about the stuff that you do own. You're just focused on the thing that you lost. So when I misplaced my iPhone, I don't say, oh, I'm just thankful I have a dining room table. Isn't that wonderful? Just look at it. It's, just go it's glorious. I just want to sit there. I don't think that. I think, where's my phone? I need my phone. I got to find my phone. Give me my phone right now. Or have you ever lost a kid? Oh, it just got real. <laughs> Have you ever misplaced a child? We, I don't think we ever really have lost a kid. We're, we, were, we were pretty hovery when they were little. Oh, we, were, we were helicopter parents for sure. Um, but, but one time, we were at SeaWorld with the extended family, I think just down here in San Antonio, before we ever moved to Austin. And um, I know, SeaWorld, don't judge me. I was mad. Believe me, I was picketing. I was mad. Let those whales go every time. But, um, but anyway, we, we were there. We watched the big Shamu show, and we were all leaving. And as we were leaving, it was a huge, huge stadium, uh, and, and, and they're all exiting out, and then the paths, they all break up, and they go different directions. And so our party got split, and there's lots of us. And so Zachary, Zachary was really little, like he was a little guy, and he was with somebody else. And, and so we didn't, we didn't know exactly, we lost track of him. And so his mom, Amy, she's like, where is Zachary? And we're like, I don't know, you don't have him? Do you have him? I don't have him. Where's Zach? Where's Zach? Everybody's starting to panic now. You know, palms are sweaty, and you're freaking out. You don't know what's going to happen next. And then um, we're making phone calls. Do you have Zach? Do you have Zach? No, we don't have Zach. You don't have Zach? Where's Zach? So everybody's panicky for like five minutes. We don't even have kids yet. Like, this is, this is 13, 14, 15 years ago. We don't even have any kids. And, um, and I'm panicking. I'm like crying. I'm like, <laughs> you lost Zachary. Like, I'm so nervous. And we're walking around SeaWorld. Zachary, where's Zachary? We're making calls. We're getting the, the security team in the mix. And, and so uh, finally, probably 10, I don't know, 15 minutes later, 
One of, the, one of our extended family members walks up, and they've got Zachary. They got separated from the party, and they have him. They walk up, and they walk up together. And we're like, where were you? What were you doing? And Amy, God bless her, she was so scared. And so she lit into Zachary hard. Like, what's the matter with you? Why did you leave? You don't do that. And we were all like, <laughs> like, she just needed some place for all that emotion to go, right? And that's the way it is when you lose somebody, especially your kid, you're freaking out. Like, we have three. I don't say, oh, two out of three is not bad. It's not going to be a big deal. It's not, like, I don't do that. Instead, I'm panicked and I'm distracted, and I don't care what the other two are thinking at the time. I don't care what they need immediately right at that moment. They're like, Daddy, Daddy, can we get an ice cream? No! Why? Because I'm focused on the one that's lost. Everybody, I believe that that's how God views us. I think he's deeply concerned about the ones that are lost. And he's less concerned. He loves you, but he's less concerned with the ones that are found. Because they're found. Because they're in the family. Because they're safe. But he cares about the ones that are on the outside. See, I think when you read Luke chapter 15, which I did a couple weeks ago, I think you can see God cares more about the ones on the outside than he does on the inside. Jesus loves outsiders, and he's more concerned about the outsiders than he really is for the insiders. And so we're wrapping up this series of messages today called Just One, and what we're talking about is what would it look like if we, as a church family, we actually lived that way, where we desperately wanted to find the ones that were far from God. And what would it look like if all of us in this room in the previous service that was full, what if we asked them, all of us, we said, hey, what would it look like for me to find one person and lead them towards Christ over the next three, six, 12 months? It'd be an amazing thing. And so I want you to go back if you haven't. I want you to please go back and listen to the podcast for the past two weeks if you've been missing it and just catch up with us because this is a big deal for our fall and this is a big deal for where we're going as a church so I want to say thanks for letting me talk about it because I know that it gets a little uncomfortable and blood pressure starts to rise and your palms get a little sweaty and you're like, oh, we're talking about this evangelism thing. It's scary. I get that. But hopefully today I'm going to help you a little bit from Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. I love this. Now, you know this already because we've been talking about this for a couple weeks. But, but what he didn't say was, hey, follow me and I will make you go to church more. Follow me and I'll make you tithe regularly because that's what we do. Uh, follow me and I will make you uh, go to a small group and make salmon for people. Follow me and I will make you a better husband or a, a better wife. Follow me and I'll, bake you, I'll make you a better son or daughter. Those things are important. But that's not what he said first. He said, follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And I love this because they got it, and they just left their nets, and they followed him and did it. And my hope and prayer is that we together will decide today we're going to do the same thing. Two weeks ago, we kind of covered this in the theological side, and I talked about Luke chapter 15 and the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. And then last week, we kind of talked about the behavior, like, what do you do? How do you... How do, you, how do you do this? What's the, what's the attitude that you walk into this with? And we talked about how to be wise when you go fishing. And today, I just want to talk to you for a few moments about uh, going fishing. If you're going to go fishing, how do you do that? And hopefully talk practically with a few tools to help you know, what do we say? 
Because some of you are still like, please don't talk about this. Please don't make me do this because you don't want me out there. I'm bad at this. Like if I go out there and I get in an argument with somebody and we're having a discussion, I'm going to lose. They know the thing better than I know the thing. And I just, it's too much pressure and I can't do it. Well, I have good news for you today. I'm not talking about arguing with people. And I don't want you to argue with people. And really, the thing that you think you're not good at, the thing that you think you should say, may not actually be the thing that you should really share. And I desperately, as a church, I want this for you. I want you to experience this. Because short of, of just being with Jesus and experiencing his life in a real tangible way, I don't think there's anything that's better in the Christian faith than a being a part of somebody's eternal life, an eternal decision, their destiny being changed and following Jesus into heaven. I, th- I think that's the greatest thing that we can be a part of. And I desperately want that for every single one of you. So how do we do it? First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are the ones chosen by God. That's you. That's you. Not me. Partly me. And you. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments. That's you. To do his work and speak out for him and tell others of the night and day difference that he made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. Now, some of you are like, now, hey, hey wait, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Because, because I come here and I, I pay my tithe. And I pay my tithe so you preach at them. That ain't for me. Now, if that's what you think, we've got more things to talk about because that ain't how any of this works at all. But, but what he's saying here is you, you're the chosen ones. You're chosen for priestly work. You're chosen as holy people. You're chosen as God's instruments. You're chosen to do the work. You're the ones chosen to speak out. Well, how do I do that? Well, it's not that hard. Just tell people of the night and day difference that he made for you. At the end of the day, that's all you got to do. Tell people the difference, the night and day difference of what Jesus has done for you. You don't got to feel the pressure to explain the whole Bible to everybody that you have a conversation with. You don't have to worry, how did Noah fit all those animals in that ark and float around? How to, you don't have to worry about that. How, well, how did Jonah live in that whale? Because that, that's three days. I'm telling you, he probably was hungry and he was going to suffocate. And what about the stomach juices? You don't have to worry about that. But I can't quite explain the priestly order of Melchizedek. Well, you don't have to do that yet. That's important. We need a study to show ourselves approved. We need to grow in our theology. But you don't have to know that to just start talking with somebody. We kind of covered these three things a little bit last week. And today, I just want to dig in a little bit deeper with you. And the first thing that we talked about was, if you're going to do this, what you can do is just share the hope that you have. Honestly, just share hope. This is the place to start. I have hope in my life because of Jesus. Do you? He's transformed and changed me. He's given me hope. Do you have it? Guess what? You can. You can have it. I made a decision to follow Jesus, and my life has never been the same. Yeah, but what about the Old Testament thing that's really weird? I don't know exactly about that. We can talk about it. But what I can tell you is I have hope because of him, literal hope in my life. Yeah, but what about that? I'm not sure about that. But let me just tell you why I gave my life to Jesus. Like this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Now, everybody, this is where it starts. We have to begin here. You don't get this part right. We don't, we're not able to move on from this. You, in, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He's the Lord of my life. He wins. I submit to him. And then always be prepared to give an answer or a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. To give the reason why. Why do you have hope? Why are you different? Why did you give your life to him? That's what they're saying. And then it says, but do this with gentleness and respect. 
You don't have to fight. You don't have to strive. You don't got to be mean. You don't have to comment to somebody on Facebook for every little thing that they ever say. You don't have to do any of that. Gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, look, this is literally the plan. Like, it's right here. You don't really need much more than this to be able to be effective in what God is asking us to do. You're just sharing your story of hope. And if you're going to share your story, I think there's three things that you need to think about. And if you'll take some time and sit down over coffee or talk to your spouse or your friend or a co or somebody and sit down and walk this through and kind of write some thoughts down, you can do this easily. The first thing you do to share your story is you just tell how I realized that I needed Jesus. How I realized I needed Jesus. Hey, let me tell you what I was like before I met him. Because, dude, I was a mess. Like, I was just a train wreck. I was a disaster of a person. What were you like? This is interesting for me because I've, I've served Jesus for pretty much all of my life. I was born into a pastor's home. I'm the kid that was born on Saturday in church on Sunday, sitting on the front row, listening to my dad preach, saying, amen, all the time. Right? That, was, that was the way I grew up. But it doesn't mean I had it all together. And actually, my parents got divorced when I was about eight years old, and so my family split and broke apart, and my whole world kind of crumbled, and it really kind of messed me up. So, so I grew up insecure and worried and fearful. I grew up lacking some major components of identity because my dad was separated from me, and he, he's a good dad, but he lived in another state. And I, I, I grew up with all of these deficiencies in my life. I was completely insecure, felt like I, was, I had an inferiority complex. I had a ton of issues, a ton of issues. And, and so I would sit around my house. And I didn't want to be with friends. I didn't want to do anything. I was depressed. And so I just sat around my house and I ate food because chips are good. And I ate a lot of chips. And I just kind of expanded. And actually, you want to see? I, you could see me in this particular phase of my life. <laughs> Thank you. I say we bring that back. You know what I'm saying? And not just that, but this shirt is amazing because you can't really tell because it's blurry, but right here, there's a zipper pocket, like you can stuff stuff into your shirt right here with a zipper. That's the 80s, man. That's the 80s. And yeah, and in case you're wondering, the top up there, it is mesh. Anyway, but, but this kid right here, he's smiling, but this kid was getting made fun of by bullies. This kid was, this kid was, was heartbroken because he didn't see his family. He didn't, he didn't know which parent to disappoint. This kid was lacking a bunch of identity. He didn't have it. And so I, I came to a realization as I grew up into my middle school, into my, my high school years, I came to a realization that I was severely lacking and I needed something different. And I decided to give my life over to Jesus. I knew about him. I'd grown up around him. I'd been in church every Sunday because my dad made me. I was always there. My mom made me. But, but then I decided one day to make it my own. And this is the second thing. I talk about how I gave my life to Jesus. I came to a decision that I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm lacking. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. I don't want any of this anymore. I want to be strong. I, 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 want, I want to be different. And so at a family camp one summer, I walked down to the front and I gave my life for, forever to Jesus. I was filled with the Spirit. I had a powerful and dynamic encounter with God, and I was never, ever the same again. And I walked into my high school years surrendering my life to him. And I decided, I'm, I don't care what my parents did. I don't know what my parents are going to do. But I know that I've got stability and security and confidence. And I find my identity in you. And so I'm going to give myself to you. You gave your life for me. So I'm going to give mine back to you. And confidence and security. And it just started to fill me. That's how I gave my life to Jesus. You have your story too. And it's not that hard to tell if you just stop and think about it. 
I was a mess, and then I decided that I was going to follow him and surrender everything and give my life to him. And then you just tell people the difference it made in my life. And so it completely revolutionized everything for me. Listen, I'm far from perfect. I still got lots of issues. I got issues that need tissues, you know what I'm saying? Like I got problems. And some days I still feel like that little chubby, insecure, fearful boy. But I know that I have a father who loves me. I actually have two of them. I know that I have a father in heaven and a father on earth, and they love me. And I know that I'm confident and secure in him. And I know that he's rescued me from sin and saved my life and set me on an eternal pathway to be forever with him. And I've got hope. I've got hope, and it doesn't ever leave me no matter what bad days come my way. I didn't have that hope before. So when you talk to people, when somebody talks to you, you don't have to explain the whole Bible first. You say, do you have hope? Do you have hope? Because I have hope, and I want to tell you how I found it. You can start there. If that's not working for you, then maybe you just need to say, hey, I'm just going to share my church. Like, there's something else you can do. I'm not sure if I got the words. I ain't so good with the talking words thing. I'm not, that's not my skill set. Okay, then start with just saying, hey, I just want to share my church with you. I love what we're doing. We're doing good things. You know what, everybody? We're trying to build a church around here where people who are far from God can come and be comfortable. Not stay the same way they are, because none of us get to do that. We all have to move. God loves all of us where we are, but we all have to continue to change. But we want people who are far from God to be able to come and sit in our seats and be welcomed and belong here before they ever believe anything that we believe. I want a church like that. I don't want a church that's just full of church people. I, I'm not interested in that. I, I, I want this church to be a blessing to you. I want it to take care of your kids, and I want it to take care of your students. And we had an amazing parent pancake social yesterday morning up in Austin. And if you missed it, man, come to the next one because it was encouraging and wonderful. Like, I want groups to be good for you and for you to connect. I want catalysts to spur you on and help you move towards God. I want all those things. But I want a church where people can come and sit down in this seat and, and get a cup of coffee and a, sh a handshake and a smile and say, hey, we love you and we're glad you're here, man. Make yourselves at home and not be judged and not see any cynicism towards them and just be welcomed. I want to have a church like that. We experience the life of God and people like that feel like they're loved and welcome. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Not pressure them, not, not put the screws to them, but just, just let them be a part of what's going on around here. Well, Brett, if we do that, the church is going to get too big. I won't know everyone. Listen, I, knowing everyone is not a value for us. Knowing, knowing a few close, really good people, like them really being in your life and invested, that's a high, high, high value for us. But it's, it's already, we have two services. It's not, it's not working. You can't know everybody. That's never going to work. And so don't worry so much about that. Get in close and tight with good people and pull together and make salmon together and be, be a part of each other's lives. You have to have that. You can't do without that. But man, we need for these seats that are empty right now, we need them to be filled. Why? Because we want to build a big organization? No, because we want people to experience the life of Jesus because it's the most important thing. To say, oh, it's going to get too big. That's crazy. That's like saying, you know what? I was driving by and I thought Seton Hospital is too big. It's just too big. There's too much room for sick people to get in there. That's what we're saying. No, this needs to be a space where people can come and experience the life of God. If we get left to ourselves, though, we have this gravitational pull inward. I just pull into myself, and I'm only concerned with what I'm... I don't want to live that way. I want us to be out and looking just one. Here's how it says in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 14. Jesus says, go out into the country. Go out there. Go into the country and urge anyone you find to come in. Why? So that my house will be full. Oh, but I like this seat next to me. I know, I get that. 
But I, but I love it when we're worshiping. It's a little hot and sweaty, and you're kind of getting some on you, and you're like, oh, man, get away. And then they're singing loud in your ear, and, and, you, and I think Jesus looks down at that and goes, oh, I love it. My house is getting full. My house is getting full. Let's keep going. See those curtains back there? Let's push them back another row. Let's push them back another row. Let's push them back another row. Because people are experiencing the life of God for them. So if we're going to do that, what do we do? Well, I think the first thing we do is we pray for them. <laughs> we pray for people who are far from God, and we pray for them by name. Actually, you have this thing in your cup holders that I'm going to ask you at the end of the service to look at, but, but it says just one, and it has a space on the back. It says, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to share my faith with blank. And I'm prayerful that you today will find a name that you can put on there and over the next several months, not as an evangelistic project, but just as somebody that you love and you start having a conversation with your just one. That's what I'm praying for. And tomorrow at 6.30 at Seek First Prayer, we're going to get together, not just to pull ourselves out of the summer slumps and jump into the fall, but to pray and ask God to work and move in our city and in our church and see people come to know him. We're going to pray for lost people by name. Prayers like this from 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We're going to pray because that's how it works. The enemy, the little G, God of this age, he puts blinders on them and they can't see what's going on. They can't see the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus. And we pray that that would be removed and they would see him. It's a beautiful prayer. We're going to pray it over the course of this week together. Once you've prayed for them, I think you've got to just show them that you care. You're not a project to me, man. You're just somebody that I genuinely love. And so you look for something that you can do to help solve some of their problems. Like, people aren't that concerned with the fact that we have a church service at 930 and 11.30. Like, they're like, hey, dude, my marriage is a wreck. Hey, dude, my, I, got, I got issues. Hey, man, I, I, I don't, my finances are falling apart. Hey, man, my kids hate me. Like, I, I, I need help here. I need help. So you show them that you care. I love that we do this. I love that we go to Camino Real. I love that we go to Camino Real Elementary and we bless them over the holidays last year and we fed them breakfast just a couple days ago. I love those teachers and that principal. I love those kids. I love that school. And it just happened to me. I was sitting getting my hair cut this week and I was sitting there in the chair and the lady that cuts my hair, we were just chatting. She knows what I do for, for my life calling and so we were, we're, we're just chatting it up and, and I said, yeah, man, it's pretty cool. Like these people that I, that I go to church with, like... They gave so generously over the holidays, and we took some of that money, and we, we actually gave to all every single teacher at Camino Real Elementary out on the east side. We, we gave them like 150 bucks each, and they opened it all up, and they freaked out, and some of them said, man, I, I spent all my money on my classroom this year, and we were going to have a terrible Christmas, and, and, and we're going to have Christmas now thanks to you, and it just really changed their life. They're crying and screaming. Like, it was amazing, and she was like, oh, I have goosebumps. Look at, like she stopped cutting my hair. I have goosebumps. I'm like, watch with the scissors, lady, but I got, I got goosebumps right here, look. And she did. And, and, and I just said, yeah, isn't it amazing? I said, I, just, I think that's the kind of stuff Jesus is into. I think that's the kind of stuff Jesus wants us to do. And I just planted a seed. And you can do it. You just show people that you actually care because people really want to know. They've got three questions. One, can you help me? Like, my, my family's a wreck. Are you able to help me? Yeah, you got a church, that's neat, but can you help me? They want to know, do you actually care about me? Like there is an epidemic of loneliness in our region and in our country today. People are wondering, do you actually care about me? Or am I just a project for you just trying to fill a seat? No, we love you. We genuinely love you. And people are asking the question, can I trust you? Can I trust you? It's a good question. And are you trustworthy? And are we as a church, are we trustworthy? When people come in here for the first time, I don't want them just to say, yeah, I'm going to step, I'll be a part of this. No, don't, don't go too quick. 
Like, have conversations. Talk to people. Look online. See what we believe. Like, check us out. Kick the tires a little bit. <laughs> that was like a spaz. <laughs> Kick the tires a little bit. That's more manly. Check us out because I, I deeply want to be, be people, a church that you can trust. We don't always nail it, but we're working every day to see if we can do it. Listen, you invest in people like this is going to take a long time. It'll probably be really hard work, but it's worth it. Now, the hard part. The hard part is, is that we're, we're living in a post-Christian America. Right? You look around, the landscape has changed. And what they're saying is, is that probably 80% of the people who don't go to church now, probably they never will. Which means that if we don't decide, I'm going to start relationships with people that are in my life, if we don't reach them one-on-one, -on -one, nobody will. Nobody will. So, so I, I want to encourage you to do something. We say this to our staff a lot of times, and, and I, I think it's good for all of us to say, uh, two out of the 52. Sorry, two out of the 50 is what I meant. No, two out of the 52. I said it right the first time. Hashtag two out of the what? I don't know. Hashtag two out of the 52. What does that mean? Two weeks out of the 52 weeks. 52 weeks? Man, my brain. Second service, y'all. I don't know what's going on. I've been talking a long time. Two out of those. 50 services are for you. Two are for somebody else. 50 services for you to enjoy, two to have people right beside you sitting there, and you'll be so freaked out, and you'll be so nervous. Oh, dear God, don't say anything stupid. Oh, stop spazzing your leg. Like, just, just stop. Stop doing that. Why did you choose that song? Oh, my God. Like, you're going you're gonna to be so freaked out, but you all need to have that experience where somebody far from God is sitting with you, and it's, this service is not for you. You're just there with them. And then you go have lunch, and you talk to them about it. Two out of the 52. I love my church. I love my church. And so you just invite them. You invite them to come to church. Just invite them to come. Come and hang out. And we actually got some stuff to help you. Like we made these shirts and you got, they're all out in the lobby. You can buy them real cheap at cost or below. And you can go buy a shirt like this and just wear it around. You love your church. Why? Church is weird. Well, let me tell you about it actually. And you can do that. You can get one of these and you can, you can put this in your yard. Oh. People driving by, really? That's so weird today. I know, but it'd be so awesome. You can get some of these and put a bumper sticker on your car and drive around everywhere you go. People sitting in traffic, staring at the back of your car for hours on end. <laughs> One of these, just a little sticker, just something small, and just put it on your laptop and sit at the coffee shop and let people ask you questions. Like, we just want ways for you to have more conversations and help you open up that door, because I know it can be challenging. But all that stuff's in the lobby. I want you to get some on your way out. Uh, we'd love to give it all away for free, but we are still scrappy church planners, so we're working on it. <laughs> but here's what we're going to do. It is a difficult season <laughs> of our nation that we find ourselves in. And so if we're really going to do this, what we're really talking about is we just want to share Jesus with people. We're not sharing one chapel. This is, this is a doorway. I, don't say, I, I love my church. Hey, grow one chapel. No. We're trying to share Jesus with people. And everybody that's in the world, out there to everybody in the world today, they need to know two things. One, they need to know God loves you. It's hard for people to believe because they grew up with a bad dad and they grew up with some horrible experiences. And so they're unconvinced that God actually loves them. And it's our responsibility to help them realize God genuinely, deeply loves you and is concerned about you. I've experienced his love for myself and I want you to experience. God so loved the world that he gave his only son part of himself into the world 
so that whoever believes in him could have everlasting life. Yeah, but what about Jonah? I, I don't know about that, man. But, but what I can tell you is that God deeply loves you. Yeah, but the four horsemen of the apocalypse, I don't, I don't understand totally that. We can look into it. But I want you to know that God loves you. Everybody's got to know God loves them, and it's a big deal because everybody, they've got this thing in their spirit. They're, all of us have a spiritual part of us, and that spirit is trying to reconnect with our creator, reconnect to the one who created us, made in the image of God, every single person. And so it's like a homing beacon, boop, 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 and it's just searching, and they can't find it, and they're dissatisfied and struggling because they're looking in all the wrong places trying to return home. Everybody is having that experience, and they need to know that God loves them. And not just that, but God has a wonderful plan for your life. God has a great plan for your life. It's a good one. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to mess you up. He wants to take from you. He wants to ruin your family. But Jesus came so that you could have life and have it to the full. And that means here, right now, on to eternity. It's an amazing thing. He's got a great, great plan for your life. Yeah, but what about the, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm convinced that God loves me and has a great plan for me and has the same for you. I don't think I want that. Okay, that's okay. I'm still your friend. We're gonna be friends. And if you ever wanna have this conversation again, you let me know. I'll hit you up in about six months. We'll have coffee lots of times in between, but I'm gonna specifically ask you about this in six months. I'm not gonna give up. Why do people need to know those two things? Well, I think they need to know them because they need to understand these three basic parts of the salvation story. The first, of course, is that there's a problem. There's a big problem, and the problem is sin. Because sin separates us. Sin removes us from God. We're not experiencing God's love or his great plan because there's something in between us. There's a chasm, there's a blockade, there's a problem, there's something that's caused division and separation between us, and that thing is sin. Sin separates us from God. God is holy, it just makes sense. He's holy, and in, he's righteous and just and pure and true, and so sin can't be a part of that. It just can't enter into his presence. So we are separated from him, and we can't get to him unless we deal with the sin thing. We've got to deal with the sin thing. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have, you have. Everybody in the world has. We do. We don't measure up. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But people are like, well, okay, but man, can't God just be cool? Like, why can't God just let it go? Like, just, just be cool. Like, it's not that big a deal. Just let it go. And they don't realize that sin is an actual debt. Sin actually causes harm and damage. Like, there's a pastor and author, his name's Tim Keller from New York City, and he explained it like this. It was so helpful to me. He said, in one of his books, he said, so imagine that you borrow my car and you go driving. On the way back, either you had some to the drink, which shame on you because you shouldn't be driving, and, and then you came back, and then, uh, or, or maybe you just, you're just a bad driver. I don't know, frankly, you just didn't pass the test well. So you just, you drive back and you crash through my fence and you crash into my, my yard and into my house. So my car broke through my fence and into my house, and my house is gaping wide open in the living room. You caused me a lot of damage. Now, I could just say, it's cool, man. Whatever. Love you. Have a great day. I'm not going to say that, by the way. Somebody has to pay for it. There's a debt. Like, there's damage that's been done, and it can't just be okay. It has to be repaired. Something, it has to be made right. 
And sin is kind of like that. Sin is damage. Sin is a debt. Sin infects you and people around you. We just watched some of the worst things, a couple stories over the course of this past week. This guy from Colorado, Chris Watts, I think was his name. And it looks like he may have killed his wife and his two little girls. It's just a horrible, disgusting story. You can't say, oh, it's okay. There's a debt. There's been harm and damage done. Something has to pay. There has to be justice for this. Oh, but Brent, okay, that's extreme. I get that, but, but I, just, I just told a little, a little white lie at my workplace. I just told a little white lie. No, you damaged relationships in your workplace. You caused a debt to happen between you and other people. There's damage done. There's a debt, and somebody has to pay it. That's what sin is. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from people. All right, so what do I do? How do I deal with the sin thing? How do I deal with the separation? It's got to be paid for. Somebody has to pay for it. You can pay for it if you want to. Okay, well, what does it cost? Well, the cost is death. All right, so what am I supposed to do? I mean, I, I want to be with God, but sin's in my way. So to get rid of the sin, I got to die. But if I die, I'm not going to be with God. So the answer is the gift of God is in Jesus Christ, eternal life in Jesus. The solution is simply Jesus. The solution is just Jesus. You guys come on up. That's it. There's a big problem. It's sin, but there's a bigger solution and it's Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that. While we were still seeped in sin. He didn't say, get it together. He didn't say, figure it out. He didn't say, hey, you got to put your family together. Get, everything, get your finances in order. Like, clean up a little bit. Deal with that addiction. Deal with that problem. And then you can come to me. No. Jesus said, while you're still seeped in your sin, I'm going to come and die for you. While we were still sinners, he gave his life for us. Jesus said, I'll pay your bill. There's a bill to be paid, and what it costs is death, but I'm going to pay it for you. Jesus is saying, hey, your house, I'm going to pay, the, I'll pay for the house. I'll fix the living room. I'll put your fence back up. I'm going I'm I'm to take, take care of the car. I'll fix it so you can get to work. I, I'll pay it. You don't have to. Your really idiot driver friend doesn't have to. Jesus paid it in full. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father unless they get through me. Just come to me. Why Jesus? Why can he do that? Because he's the only one who didn't have to pay his own bill. Because he was perfect. Because he was sinless. Because he was God himself. And he could pay the price for everything that we'll ever do. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Look, I understand that this is basic. I understand that most of you probably are, are beyond. You've kind of figured all this out, but I just needed us to all be on the same page so when you get into the discussion, you can say, God loves you, man, and he's got a great plan for your life, and there's sin in the way, and I know, and it, it separates us, and it's a debt, and it's got to be paid for, and unfortunately, I'm sorry, man, but that payment is death. But, but Jesus, he stepped in and he already paid it for you. Like, it's already done. It's already done. When I was in college, I graduated with a whole bunch of debt. Like just crushing school loans. Anybody relate? Just crushing school loans. And, and I didn't know what I, how I was going to do that. Um, I had a calling on my life to be in a local church and... How many know we don't do this for the money? <laughs> and so, so 
lots more lucrative places to go. <laughs> so I knew what my path was, and there was all this crushing debt on me. And I, I was working at a church in Colorado and during the summer, and I, I was shampooing rugs and classrooms, and there was a businessman that went to that church, and he drove around, and he, he felt like the Lord spoke to him, and he came in, and he parked, and he went up and talked to the pastor. And so I got called into the pastor's office, and I was like, that's never a good thing. Like, oh, what did I do now? And I walked into the pastor's office, nervous, and he said, let me tell you what happened. This guy drove in, a businessman, and he came in, and he told me some stuff. I'm like, what did he say? You know, <laughs> he said, I think there's a kid here that is just under a bunch of crushing debt. He's going to school or something. Like, just felt like the Lord told me that, and I'm supposed to help him. The pastor said, I think that's you. So we talked, and, and if you'd graduate under these specific requirements, as soon as you graduate, he's going to give you $20,000. It'll just go straight to your loans. You'll never touch it. Just pay off your loans. And I was like, what? My mom's there in the office. She's like, ah, she's crying. I'm crying. Somebody paid my bill. And I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve any of it. And he, and he paid it. And it makes me, it gets me emotional because, not because some guy paid my college debt, which is awesome, and I paid it off way before my brothers, but whatever. because Jesus paid every for every single thing that I've ever done and every single thing that you've ever done he paid it in full and he's paid the bill and you don't have to pay it what a shame if you decided I'm going to pay it too it's already been taken care of Jesus paid your bill from here until forever he paid it John 1:12 but all who believed him and accepted him he gave them the right to become his children, the children of God. So he paid it, and he says in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. It's with your heart that you believe and you're justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved. All we gotta do today is just confess. Gotta confess. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it out loud. You're the Lord of my life. And I'm gonna believe in my heart that God, you are who you said you are. And Jesus, you did what you said you did and I receive your free gift from me. That's it eternal change and transformation because I guarantee you that in this room right now and all really in, in every heart of every person in this world there is a dynamic that's happening right now and it's Revelation 3.20 and Jesus says behold I stand at the door and I knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me here's what that means Brent paraphrase is God messes with people and even in the room today he's knocking on people's hearts and he's been knocking for a long time and some of you know it too oh I know that's what that's been maybe today's the day where you just decide I'm just gonna believe it I'm just gonna decide that it's true I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say yes he comes in and changes you comes and he eats with you, comes and he hangs out with you. He comes and he builds a relationship with you because that's what he wants. There's a problem and it's sin and we all have it. But there's a bigger solution. His name is Jesus. And so there's only one thing that's left. There's only one thing then that you have to do and there's only one thing that you need to say when you have conversations. The response is yours. Like with all of that, the response, it's up to you, man. And what's that response? pretty simple but it takes a lot it's, you just give Jesus your life 
you give him all your life. You realize he gave his whole life for me. I'm just going to give my whole life in return. Why don't you close your eyes? I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, across this room, I pray that this would become a reality for our church. Thank you for one chapel, Kyle. Thank you for your heart for just one. Thank you that you chase us down. It's amazing to me. I pray that our church family, that we would be this kind of a place. And I pray that even today in this room and in our families and in our workplaces tomorrow, God, that, that this reality would start to come alive. And even now, right here, I pray that it would become real in people's hearts. Jesus, do it. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, I didn't know it, but God's messing with me. He's messing with me. Maybe today is your day. You know, it's funny. God could bust your door down. He could if he wanted to, but he doesn't do that because he wants an actual relationship with you. So maybe today's your day just to confess, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I give up. You just confess. You believe that he did what he said he did. He died on the cross. He rose again, and he paid the penalty for your sin. God loves you, and God has a plan for your life, and he paid for your sin. I'm going to pray a prayer about that, and if you want to be included in this prayer, you just need to let God know. That's it. I'm not going to do anything weird to you. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you come here or go into a room or anything. I'm just going to have you pray from your seat, but some of you just kind of need to get in on this. The time has come. He's been knocking. You just need to surrender and say yes. So all over the room today, if that's you, maybe it's the first time, maybe it, you've done it before, but you've been away and you just need to do it again. With nobody looking around, just shoot your hand up right now. Just do it. Come on. I want to include me in that prayer, Brent. Thank you. 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 Who else? Oh, hands all over the place. Who else? You want to join us. That's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Who else? Come on. Who else? Thank you. It's beautiful. Thank you. This is my favorite part of any Sunday. put those down. I, I'm going to pray this prayer, and I just want you to repeat after me, not because I know the magic words, just because I'm going to lead you in confessing, and I'm going to lead you towards repentance, just turning away from your old life and confessing Him as your Lord. So everybody in this room, say this out loud with me. Jesus, I love you. I believe you died. You were buried, and you rose again. And today, I put my faith in you. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my God. The best way I know how, I'm going to live my life for you. So I give you my life. I give you everything. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Come on, everybody. I think we should thank God for those decisions that are being made here today. couple more things before you go. There is a connection card in your cup holder. I know it's a foreign step and it feels intimidating, but if you raised your hand and if you made a decision today, would you please fill that out and just let me know. There's a place to say, I made a decision today and drop it in the offering boxes on your way out. I won't show up at your doorstep. I won't send anybody to your doorstep unless you really want us to. We'll bring you some bread or some donuts or something, whatever. But, but I, we just want to send you an email and maybe help you with the next steps, okay? Now, take out that card. Everybody in the room, take out that card, that just one card that's in your cup holders turn it over and look at the back. There's some instruction for you here. I'm going to pray for them frequently. I'm going to listen to their story. I'm going to share my story, and I've just given you some tools to do that today, and I'm going to invite them to an event or service where they can hear the gospel story. I want you to take that out. We're going to finish with this song. 
And as we finish with this song, I want you to pray over that. I want you to sing these words. We're going to say we're here for you. God, we're, wel- we're welcoming you. We want you to move and work in us. As we declare those words, I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God to give you one name. Well, who's your just one? You don't get it today, that's fine. Take it home, fill it out, and put it up on your fridge or put it up next to your, on your dresser or in, in, in a book or whatever. Keep it around you and let's start doing these four things. So everybody, actually, would you mind stand up with me? Everybody across the room, stand up with me. Take that card in your hand. Let's declare this song together and then I'll come back and close us.